From uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast. This is Alyssa Carroll, and I am your host and the creator of Serial underscore Killing on Instagram where we go through the life stories of serial killers to see if we might catch a glimpse of why they displayed their famous vile and disturbing behaviors. This week's podcast will be about Robert Hansen, otherwise known as the Butcher Baker. Robert Hansen was born on February 15, 1939, making him an Aquarius. He was born in Estherville, Iowa, so let's jump right into some history from that time. Hansen was born the same year as our previous podcast serial killer, Peter Woodcock, so much of the news will be similar, only Peter was born in Canada, whereas Robert was born in the U.S. Renting a small house would cost you about $28 a month, and a new car, Ford being the most popular, cost about $700, and, in fact, the first air-conditioned car was created at this time. The popular songs were Glenn Miller's Moonlight Serenade and Over the Rainbow by Judy Garland. Other well-known people born in 1939 include John Cleese from Monty Python, singers Tina Turner and Marvin Gaye, director Francis Ford Coppola, fashion designer Ralph Lauren, and Lee Harvey Oswald, the man accused of killing JFK. The world population at the time was 4.4 billion. In 1939, Germany invaded Poland, thus starting World War II. President Roosevelt stated that the United States would stay neutral initially. Albert Einstein wrote a letter to Roosevelt about the fundamental process behind the atomic bomb, which led to a committee that eventually formed the Manhattan Project. It was learned that the Nazis in Germany were working to develop a weapon of unimaginable power and destruction that would release the energy of a split atom. This project ultimately created the first nuclear weapons led by the U.S. and supported by the United Kingdom and Canada. Also during this time, the U.S. Department of Agriculture started the very first attempt at a food stamp program, but it was ended in 1943. The U.S. unemployment rate at the time was 17.2% toward the end of the Great Depression. The movie, Gone with the Wind, premiered and went on to be one of the most profitable movies of all time. Also in 1939, The Wizard of Oz premiered. Robert Kane introduced the Batman after the success of superhero comic book characters such as Superman. Robert said the character was based off of Zorro, Leonardo da Vinci's diagram of the Ornithopter, 
which was a flying machine with bat-like wings, as well as the 1930 film The Bat Whisperers. Also in 1939, Lou Gehrig officially retired from baseball after being diagnosed with ALS, which is a disease that attacks the nerve cells in the brain and spinal cord, which basically starves the muscles and makes them waste away. This, of course, is an oversimplification. The World's Fair opened in New York. Countries from all over the world participated. The slogan was called, quote, The Dawn of a New Day and the theme was about the future. It encouraged visitors to take a look at the world of tomorrow. Regular TV broadcasts began in the U.S. and the first programs came from the BBC. Afterward, TVs began to be regularly sold to the public. The screen size was between 5 to 12 inches or so and they cost anywhere from 200 to $1,000 which was an absolutely unheard of amount of money back in those days. On August 26, 1939, the first Major League Baseball game was broadcast, and it was a doubleheader between the Cincinnati Reds and the Brooklyn Dodgers at Ebbets Field in Brooklyn, New York. The Dust Bowl was an area in the plains of the United States, mostly affecting Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Nebraska. During the beginning of the Dust Bowl, the country was also experiencing the Great Depression. Inexperienced farmers were over-plowing the grasslands, and when the price of wheat plummeted, they plowed more and more. Unfortunately, the weather had also changed for the region, bringing little to no rain. This was a recipe for disaster, with no rain, the grasslands being over-farmed, and the wind picking up, it began to blow the dried up soil around. This led to no crops and huge dust storms called black blizzards, and the dust drifted like snow. The Dust Bowl is a very interesting topic all on its own, and there are a few documentaries on this subject if you wish to learn more, and I encourage you to do so. The pictures from this era alone are fascinating, and through my own travels, I have been there, and the area is still obviously recovering. Regardless, in 1939, the rains finally came back. So, let's get into Robert's life. Robert Hansen's parents were Christian and Edna Hansen. Christian was born in Denmark in 1908 and immigrated to the United States, where he eventually started and owned a bakery. Edna was born in 1917 in Iowa, and she was a housewife. Robert was their only child. He was a small and sickly child, much to his father's irritation. Christian was an extremely strict parent to his son and did not shy away from discipline. Robert was also left-handed and was forced to write with his right hand, which was not uncommon for the times, but studies have been conducted on people who were forced to use their right hand when they were naturally left-handed, and it was shown to cause a multitude of problems, such as learning disorders, dyslexia, stuttering, and other speech disorders. So, knowing this, it doesn't come as a surprise that Robert also had a severe stutter as a child. This, along with his small size, meant that he was bullied relentlessly. His father was also a pretty strict disciplinarian as well, and due to these conditions, he was a quiet, lonely, and isolated child. 
As Robert Hansen went into puberty, he suffered from severe cystic acne. He later said his face was, quote, one big pimple. His classmates treated him horribly, and thus he never really made any friends in school. He was interested in girls, but they laughed at his insecurities, which made him isolate even more. So, rather than having any form of a social life, he instead worked long hours in his father's bakery. But his father did pay him a reasonable wage for those times, which could be up to a dollar a day. But when Robert wasn't working, he enjoyed more solitary hobbies such as fishing, hunting game, and was particularly skilled in archery. He did manage to find some success at school when he decided to try track, and he was a skilled long-distance runner. However, this did nothing to get him noticed by his peers. The school even misspelled his name in the yearbook. Robert later said this about his high school experience, quote, Going back in my life I was, I guess what you might call very frustrated. I would see my peers going out on dates and so forth, and I had a tremendous desire to do the same thing. From the scars and so forth on my face, you can probably see, I could see why girls wouldn't want to get close to me. During my junior high or high school days, I could not control my speech at all. I was always so embarrassed and upset with it from people making fun of me that I hated the word school." Unquote. Robert Hansen graduated from high school in 1957 and immediately enlisted in the Army Reserves where he excelled as a marksman. He served one weekend a month while working at the family bakery the rest of the time and he also volunteered as an assistant drill sergeant at the police academy. It is noteworthy to say that his very first sexual experience was with a prostitute he had hired. She took him to a hotel room where there were other working girls in the same room as well. So after being discharged from the Army Reserves at 21, he married a young woman. The marriage was short-lived, however, after he was arrested for burning down a school bus garage and put in jail, and she promptly divorced him. While he was in jail, a psychologist evaluated him and stated that he had a, quote, infantile personality marked by childlike hysteria, volatile emotions, and a clingy fixation on others. He served nearly two years before he was released. For the next two years, he was arrested for small petty crimes here and then, but he met Darla Henrichson and decided to make a fresh start. Robert and Darla, who was devoutly religious, married in 1963. She knew he was damaged. She was well aware of his arson conviction, but she married him anyway. She felt that she might be able to help him, and after he'd get into trouble, he always promised he'd start going to church again. Darla herself was a highly intelligent woman and received a master's degree in education. She tutored learning disabled children, which basically earns her sainthood. In 1967, after they had had two children together, Robert decided to move the family to Anchorage, Alaska, and once there, he opened a bakery. They settled into the area as the years went by, and the locals liked Robert. They often called him Bob the Baker. 
His wife Darla would later say that she made her own money and that they kept their money separate and that Bob didn't contribute to the household bills at all. His bakery money was his. Robert and his family did live in a modest home on the edge of town. He stayed behind in the summers while Darla and the children would fly to visit family she had in Arkansas. Robert even worked to get his pilot's license as it was a pretty common means of transportation in the Alaskan wilderness, and it still is to this day. He was able to buy a small bush plane, and he was a competent enough pilot, and it aided him in his hunting adventures. Thus, Robert became an award-winning hunter. His hunting methods were rifles and bow hunting. The Alaskan frontier provided an escape for him, and he stalked his game stealthily, and he had near-perfect aim. He had a trophy room in his house where he mounted his kills, and at 30 years old, he even had his hunted animals, grizzlies as well as doll sheep, entered into the Pope and Young's trophy hunting world record books. Of course, there was some whispered scandal that Robert had earned his records by not following the rules of the hunt, as in, they were meant to be bow hunts, but he had shot them with a rifle. Regardless, even though he was a well-respected member of his community, and life seemed to be going very well for him, he was beginning to live a secret life in the shadows. Hansen had become a regular customer at the strip clubs in the seedier part of Anchorage, which had popped up quickly due to this being during the height of the Trans-Alaska Pipeline build. The pay was good and attracted less than ideal people to come, which in turn lured the girls in with a promise of making a lot of money in the clubs. The rougher bars and clubs were a host of criminal activity and the police were kept so busy it was easy for incidences to just fall through the cracks. The girls in the clubs knew Robert paid upwards of $300, and he certainly looked small and innocent enough, so they played his game. He wanted them to make the first move, and his fantasy was to demean the girls. He later said, quote, She had to come out and say we could do it, but it was going to cost you some money. Then she was no longer, I guess, what you might call a decent girl. So you see, for that kind of money, which would be close to about $2,000 today, he could get those girls to go anywhere with him. But once they got into his car, his personality would change in an instant. He would have one side of some handcuffs already affixed to the door handle of his car, so it was nothing for him to reach over and lock a girl's wrist into the other side. Then they were trapped. Robert began taking these girls either to his home while no one else was there or flying them out to secluded areas and violently raping them and torturing them or worse. Robert later stated that if the girls complied, they most likely would be returned to Anchorage alive. But if they didn't, he would release them out into the wilderness and hunt them like game. Teenager Megan Emmerich went missing in 1973 from a boarding school in Anchorage, Alaska. She had left her dorm room to do laundry and then just disappeared. Robert Hansen admitted to being in the area at the time of her disappearance, but denied having killed her. 
1975, Mary Thill had a friend give her a ride to a bakery and then disappeared and was never seen again. Robert Hansen is still considered the prime suspect. Robert would escape justice time and time again, even after some of the rapes were reported, because he was thought of as an upstanding member of the community, and no one could conceive of him doing anything of the sort, and these girls were generally prostitutes. But eventually he was arrested for a rape charge and put in jail. Once he finished his six-month sentence, his need for violence intensified. In 1977, when Robert was 38 years old, he was again arrested for stealing a chainsaw and was diagnosed as bipolar. He was prescribed lithium, but was not required by law to take it, so he didn't. He only served one year out of the five he had been sentenced. Outside of that, people still saw him as a decent family man. He was denied a pilot's license renewal due to his criminal past, but, of course, that did not deter him from flying. You see, one of his favorite pastimes with these girls was to rape them, then let them run from him out into the remote bush naked, letting them believe that they had a chance at survival. Then he took his time tracking them and hunting them like animals. In 1980, the body of a young woman, whom the authorities named Eklutna Annie, was found in Eklutna, Alaska, near telephone wires. Her remains were badly decomposed, but it was determined that her cause of death was being stabbed in the back. Robert Hansen later admitted to killing her and said she had been a prostitute. That same year, three more women went missing from the Anchorage area, never to be found. Robert was the lead suspect in their disappearances, but the authorities couldn't find any evidence to prove he was guilty. In 1982, two off-duty police officers were hunting on the Kinnick River when they found, in a shallow grave, the dead and decomposed body of Sherry Morrow. She was a 23-year-old topless dancer that had been missing for a year. She had also been shot in the back three times with a hunting rifle. There were no bullet holes in her clothing, which suggested she had been shot while naked, then dressed. Throughout 1982 to 1993, young women continued to disappear. What became Hansen's undoing was that one teenaged girl managed to escape. Her name was Cindy Paulson. He kidnapped her, took her to his home, chained her up, and then raped her. He then put her in the back of his car, drove to the airport where he stored his plane and was putting his hunting rifles in it when she grabbed the opportunity, fled the car, still handcuffed, and ran to a road and flagged down a trucker who took her to the nearest police station. The police then took the woman to the airport where she quickly pointed out Robert's plane. The police went to his house and questioned him, but he was able to talk a neighbor into giving him an alibi so he was not arrested. Three months later, the body of Paula Galuding was found on the banks of the Kinnick River as another one of his victims. 
She too had been a topless dancer and had been shot while naked in the back and then dressed after death. The FBI got involved and developed a criminal profile that stated the perpetrator was a middle-aged white man who was an experienced hunter with a history of being rejected by women which would cause low self-esteem and would keep souvenirs from his victims. Robert Hansen obviously fit this profile. In October 1983, investigators decided to follow Hansen to work and requested he come to the police station to answer some questions. Robert agreed to go, not asking what for or why. At the same time, authorities served warrants on his house and plane. They found weapons throughout the house, including a hidden space tucked away in the attic rafters, where they discovered a hunting rifle, a pistol, an aviation map with specific locations marked off, later to be found where he had buried his victims. They also found various pieces of jewelry, newspaper clippings about the victims, a shotgun, a driver's license, and various ID cards, some of which belonged to the dead women. 44-year-old Hansen was arrested on October 27, 1983 and charged with assault, kidnapping, weapons offenses, and theft. His bail was set at $500,000. In the coming months, it was up to the prosecution to assemble the evidence needed for a conviction, and they were able to charge him with at least four murders. In a plea bargain, Robert Hansen agreed to show authorities where he had buried the bodies. Twelve in total were located, but many more are suspected to still be undiscovered. He was given 461 years plus life in prison with no chance for parole. He later died of natural causes on August 21, 2014. There is a movie based on Robert Hansen called The Frozen Ground that stars John Cusack as Robert Hansen if you're interested in watching it. So, what happened? It is difficult to decide whether he was born to kill or conditioned to. We have absolutely no family history before him to research, or at least none that I found, that might explain some inherited defect. There has been no noted mental illness mentioned in his family before him. There's also been no mention of any brain defects he might have had or anything like that. His father was described as strict, but there doesn't seem to be any evidence that he was outwardly abused. Also, many of us had a tough time in school and were not popular with our peers. Many people also suffered with horrible acne and were turned down by our crushes, and yet we didn't become serial killers. This case is an interesting one, and I can safely say that I have no opinion as to what made him the monster he became. So, there's also extremely limited information about his children, and the only information out there that I could find was that after Robert's trial was over and he was in prison, Darla took the children and moved to Arkansas, where they finished and graduated high school. Their daughter now works for a major insurance company and her husband owns a car dealership. Their son was a career Marine. He then moved to Denver, Colorado, where he still works for a major snack food manufacturer. 
Both of Robert's children have their own children who are involved in sports and very normal activities. Their son and daughter are now in their mid-40s. And as of last year, Darla was still helping out at the car dealership. So as you see, there doesn't seem to be anything negative with regards to his children or his grandchildren. So, what are your thoughts? You can leave me comments on the at serial underscore killing Instagram page. Thanks so much for listening. Music by Kevin MacLeod on Incompetech.com.